If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. It's finally tournament week for the Big Ten. Welcome in to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading the show. I'm your host, Benjamin Wargo, the Wisconsin football and men's basketball beat writer for Rivals.com. Every team is 0-0. Zero and zero. You can erase that regular season. Of course, if you're listening to this Wednesday night or Thursday morning, some teams have already been eliminated from the Big Ten tournament. I mean, heck, on the women's side, Wisconsin women were eliminated yesterday and already fired their coach in Jonathan Sippis. So March Madness indeed at the University of Wisconsin. The men's basketball team was certainly PO'd. They were mad on Sunday following their loss at Iowa, where head coach Greg Gard went nuclear on the Big Ten. The officiating crew, which include our old friend Bo Borowski, and the hook and hold rule, which he says is making a mockery of college basketball. We're going to get into that here in just a minute. Our guest this week is uh, one of my all-time favorite players that I've covered, Jared Berger, the former center out of Minnesota who came to the Wisconsin, played for five years, including his redshirt year, left as the school's all-time leader in blocks. He was a second-team all-conference pick, all-defensive player. We're going to talk about uh, the hook and hold rule. We're going to talk about officiating. How do you overcome bad officials? How do you overcome a lack of confidence when shots aren't falling? His t- he should know in his senior season, Wisconsin played seven games in the 40s, including three straight in Big Ten play. That was kind of the precursor to the back-to-back Final Four runs. And now Jared Bergen is a trainer. He is teaching young kids how to play basketball. So excited to have Jared on here in just a couple minutes. But we got to talk about Sunday, just a little bit. Want to move the page into the Big Ten tournament. Wisconsin is going to play on Thursday night against either Penn State or Nebraska. We'll find that out later tonight. I'm recording this on Wednesday morning. And Wisconsin will be favored in that game and hopefully will have a little bit of confidence, a little bit of fire in their step. They swept Nebraska, the last place team in the league, and they split against Penn State. That was at home and home series in late January where Wisconsin lost in State College and then came back and played much better at home against the Nittany Lions, and then they'll get uh, a shot at Iowa if they win. And I bet you this Badger team would like another shot at Iowa. Wisconsin played so poorly at the Kohl Center against the Hawkeyes that you kind of wondered where they were going to be in this regular season finale. The game didn't mean anything. Based on Rutgers beating Minnesota in overtime the day before, Wisconsin was locked into the sixth seed. Wisconsin won the head-to-head matchup with Rutgers. They had a, and if it was a three-way tie with Maryland, Wisconsin won that tiebreaker as well. So Wisconsin was locked in the sixth seed. Iowa really wasn't playing for anything either. They already had the double buy locked up. Uh, they By winning, they moved from the four seed to the three. So, I mean, there was a little bit. But in terms of a bad loss or anything like that, it really didn't matter. However, Wisconsin needed to win this game just to get some, some good feelings, some good momentum going in 
to to the game and i would argue even though they lost they are still fired up and they're ready to go based on what happened in the final two minutes of the game the final 36 seconds took about 11 and a half minutes according to the stopwatch of play-by-play uh, voice Matt LePay of the of Learfield College covering Wisconsin for many, many years, which just shows you how ridiculous this ending of this game was. And it started, too, with Bo Borowski, who I don't think has a vendetta against Wisconsin. I just think he's a bad official and that maybe he has a vendetta against Brad Davison because there's been some plays throughout the course of this season that Brad Davison has been involved in in with Bo Borowski fishing that have not gone Wisconsin's way. And I'm not saying conspiracy theory. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm just pointing out the facts that Bo Borowski has called some very iffy calls against Brad Davison. And Bo Borowski is 7-0 for the other team in game season officiates with Wisconsin in Big Ten play. Wisconsin didn't win a single game where he was official. Now, some of that has to do with shots. But certainly the last two minutes, or really the last minute of the game, was quite bizarre and really ruined, in my opinion, a really good college basketball game. It started with a a foul call on Demetri Trice, which was this was a very physical game. And the second half alone, there was a ton of whistles, a ton of stoppages, a ton of replay reviews, which is also ridiculous to me. How there is no challenge system in college basketball. There's a challenge system in professional sports, baseball, hockey. Uh, NFL, NBA, there's a replay in college football. There's a replay in college volleyball, for crying out loud. How is there no replay in college basketball that you can ask for unlimited uh, reviews and and the like? But the second half, 14 fouls were called on Wisconsin, and I think uh, 10 were called on Iowa. So, But there's just a lot of whistles, a lot of stoppages, just no real flow the last couple minutes of the game. And it ruined a good game because Iowa's averaging 1.4 points per possession. Wisconsin put their for their best second half in a long time. They averaged 1.5 points per possession. They shot 53% from the field. The ball movement was better. 11 assists on 16 field goals. They got to the free throw line and they made their free throws. They went 7 of 13 from three-point range. This was a good half of basketball where Wisconsin played up to their potential. This is the Wisconsin team we thought we were going to see for the Big Ten season. And it didn't really show up until the last 20 minutes of the regular season. But Aline Ford missed a box out when it was 71-71 that kind of caused the domino effect to happen here, where on that next possession, Jordan Bohan was followed by Trice. And I say followed in the loosest term possible. Trice kind of nicked him a little bit before the shooting motion, and, and Bo Borowski made the call. It was it was a it was a bad call, considering how the game was going. Did he follow him? Did he come into contact with him? Absolutely. But considering where the foul happened in the game, considering who the official was, considering what was called and what wasn't called leading up to that, it was out of place. And of course, Jordan Bohan shoots eighty seven percent from the free throw line. Makes all three free throws, so Wisconsin is in a little bit of a heap of trouble here. On the next possession, this is where the the issues for Greg Gard really started. Brad Davison beats Keegan Murray on a drive to the basket, and as the pass is coming to him in the lane, Murray kind of sticks his arm into the passing lane and kind of between Davison's elbow and his body, if you watch it and initiates a hook and hold because Davison can't go up for the ball with two hands 
So he's kind of hooked. Murray, one hand, the foul is called on Iowa, on Murray. Murray immediately goes telltale, hey, he hit me first to the officials. The officials went to the review, to went to the monitor to review, a lengthy review, and they ruled that Davison was called for a hook and hold, which means Davison shot two free throws, Iowa shot two free throws and got the ball back. So instead of Wisconsin going to the line and kind of lead to one, they had the lead back to three and they had possession of the ball. And Greg Gard was furious. You could see him mouthing at, at on the monitor. You do this all the time. This is, you know, insert your four-letter words here. It was frustrating to watch because it ruined a good game. And a lot of people weighed in on this too. People that don't cover Wisconsin, national people, Big Ten people, in terms of analysts, not anything from the, the Big Ten office. The Big Ten office has not commented. They won't comment on this. And it was frustrating to see how the momentum of the game was disjointed. The players, Wisconsin players, said so afterwards too, that it was hard to get into a rhythm late. And certainly Greg Gard was upset. And Greg Gard, for those that aren't aware, is very mild-mannered with us in the media. He never is. He's like Bo. He never publicly calls out players. He chooses to do that privately. He never really loses his temper. So when he started off his opening comments, calling it a joke, a, uh, a character assassination of Brad Davison, uh, calling the hook and hole a Brad Davison rule, say the rules making it a mockery of the game. It was very eye-opening, and it caught a lot of people's attention. I'm going to play for you now what Guard said uh, post-game. Uh, these are all of his comments regarding the rule, Brad Davison, and the officiating crew. You know, the area that I really want to address beginning, maybe got people have questions about it, is the um, mockery that has now been made of the hook and hold or any type of thing, and it, and it appears to be have become a Brad Davison rule where uh, it's become, quite frankly, a joke. Um, anytime there's a foul or a question, the opponents are yelling to the, the officials about the monitor, uh, to go to the monitor. I saw the play. If college basketball is headed in this direction, we're, we're in big trouble. Um, I really, it sickens me that we have games decided like this, and this is where it's at. That, that rule was not put in place for that. That was for safety of players. That was for post-play. Those type of things happen on every single possession of the game specifically in the post. So I think it's really turned into a joke. Uh, I feel bad for Brad Davison. The kid's a great kid, plays his ass off, um, but he continues to get screwed by by this and, and how the officials and, and the league and opponents have com continued to just call that out and, and spotlight, put a spotlight on that and deaden the ball. And um, it, it's really, it's become sickening, really. Uh, it's made a mockery of, of college basketball, specifically in the in this positions we've been in. Like I said, I, I just uh, I, I think this is, and this isn't the first time. This has been three years of this stuff with Brad. Um, you know, where it's constantly. It's not just you know. It, it's it's unfortunately it's been, you know, that's been pinned on him, and now it now it becomes a weapon, and the the officials have allowed it become a, a weapon for an opponent. Oh, Greg, I know you've commented on your thoughts, but can you at least explain to us what the explanation was? On that play where he's in the, on the hook and hold. I mean, well, they, he's trying to catch the pass. Yeah, he's trying to catch the pass. And actually, Murray's arm has his arm. Murray's arm has is in an L. Brad's arm is straight. Um, he has to try to catch it with one hand. Neither 
Murray doesn't fall down. Nobody's in danger of getting hurt. Like I said, it, it just become it's become something that they can anybody can call out on. You know, they can go to they request the monitor. And uh, like I said, it's I don't I don't know if they if they uh, keep track of monitor requests, but if Brad Davison doesn't lead the country in it, and like I said, that's why it really it's become a mockery because it's it's constantly this and um, you know, like I said, in this position, that rule that should not decide basketball games when it's that type of play. Greg, with all the reviews, is it hard at the end of the game there to kind of keep the momentum going? It seemed like the game itself was going back and forth kind of up until about two minutes left, and then that two minutes took a long time, and it seemed like it kind of threw off maybe what you guys might have had going offensively, even what Iowa had going offensively. It seemed like you just kind of halted everything. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to the monitor all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, it's uh, – just need to call the game as it happens, and and said so we're going to the monitor for everything. It's just like a you have a pocket full of monitor requests anymore, so and, and an endless pocket full of monitor requests. It's like you can request it on any single time and free shooters and do anything with it. So it's just uh, that's something that's got to be addressed because it's gotten out of hand. Yeah, Greg, do you just? I assume you're anticipating you're going to hear something from the league. Today, do you care about that, and do you can do? You, are you worried at all about how games might be, might be officiated in the Big Ten tournament because of what you said? Well, it, I'm just trying to protect a player that is constantly. They've made a. They put a spotlight on him, and I've asked the league to stop it, and it's. They've allowed it to get out of hand, and and the character of the kid now with what ESPN did with their Wikipedia thing during one of the games that we had, and if it was Michigan or was it, I mean, that, that, and ESPN can issue all the apologies they want. The kid's a great kid. He's done a phenomenal job for our program. He's been a great representative of this university, and I'm just tired of him constantly getting put in that light. And it's not, it's got to stop. So, I'll be on the phone. I'll be happy to take a call from the league. Uh, they they know my number. They they know where I'm at. Um, but this has gotten, like I said, this has gotten ridiculous. Where we've gotten TV now, um, you know, putting up stuff on Wikipedia with a false Wikipedia page. And I got apologies from ESPN. I got apologies from Bob Wischusen and Dick Vitale and the producer and all that. That's great. But they continue to take shots at at the kid, and that's where enough's enough. Um, I'm tired of it. I'm going to call it out when it happens, and I'm calling it out today. So as you can hear there, that, that's, that's very passionate, and he's very angry about it. And we talked to, to Coach Guard on Tuesday, and he said he talked to league office. It was a good dialogue, and they're, they're moving forward. But you know, no fine has been announced by the Big Ten, so it's assuming that the Big Ten maybe knows that he's right and they're choosing not to fine him. And it's one of those things where you feel bad for Brad Davison because I know Brad Davison. I covered Brad Davison in high school throughout the recruiting process and throughout his 25 years here at the University of Wisconsin, it feels like. He's a good kid. He's always good with the media. He's always honest with the media. And he does a ton of community service work. He does a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't know. He plays hard. And because he plays hard, he puts himself in these positions that a lot of people don't. And issues arise from that. Uh, he certainly has hit people in 
the growing area before. It happened with Joey Hauser two, two years ago, I believe. It happened with uh, Connor McCaffrey last year, both times fighting through screens. And both look don't look the greatest. Davidson uh, is honest and they says that they were not on purpose. They're purely unintentional. I tend to believe him. And I think Brad Davis has been under a different microscope since that five-charge game he took against NC State. You remember the rest of that season that Davison rarely got a lot of charge calls. A lot were blocking calls. And I think that's where you heard guard say character assassination. That's kind of where it started. And the hook and hold rule, you could see teams when those situations kind of come up involving Davison. They want a monitor call. They want a monitor review. And like I said before, how do you not have – some sort of replay system in college basketball that the last 30 seconds should not take over 11 minutes to play. It's, it's one of these things where Davison has been put under the microscope and you could see it too, uh, by opposing fan bases, by Wisconsin's own fan base. I see it on Twitter all the time that people are tired of Brad Davison. They're, they're hope they're, you know, they want to see Brad Davison move on, but I don't think he's a dirty player. I think he's plays hard. And I think that because he plays hard, it rubs people the wrong way because a lot of people don't play the way Brad Davison does. Has he gotten himself into some sicky PR situations? Absolutely he has. But that's because he's fighting uh, to get through screens and maybe sometimes the technique isn't there and sometimes it, you know, it's a slip, slippage in technique. And you know it just it looks dirty. But to compare him to Grayson Allen, that crybaby from Duke, I don't think is a fair uh, comparison at all. And I, I applaud Guard for, for defending him. He's defended him twice now in the last uh, year and a couple months. He defended him last year, last January, after Davidson, because of that hit on McCaffrey, was suspended. And I believe the, the language used by the Big Ten for repeated violations of the sportsmanship rule. Wisconsin ended up winning the game against Michigan State without Davison in it last year, and that kind of sparked their 9-1 finish down the stretch. And the players appreciate it, too. We heard from Micah Potter after the game, who said that he heard the comments and said that we're going to play for guard because we know guard's going to have our back. Tyler Wall and Demetri Trice on Tuesday both uh, spoke out in favor of that. Trice said that he went out after he heard the comments and thanked guard for those comments. And because of it, there's a, there's a, there's a bounce in the step. Of the players there's a you can tell even though they've lost three straight and five of six and they're unranked in the ap poll for the first time all season that this group is confident going into this big 10 tournament they feel confident there's a swagger at practice we can't see practice anymore because of covid but this is something that the players have said that they can feel an energy in practice brad davison we haven't spoken to him since sunday but Demetri trey said brad davison is as happy as he can be because he saw his coach stick his neck out for him and defend his character and you know, you have to kind of wonder from the outside looking at where this Wisconsin team is because they're 16-11, they're 10-10 and 10 in Big Ten play. You know, the first time they haven't had a win season in Big Ten play in, in, I believe, three years. They've let a lot of winnable games kind of slip away, especially at home where they were just 5-5 five and five in Big Ten play. But they played better this last week. And I think anyone who's watched them objectively can see that, that the ball movement has been better. The scoring balance has been better, and they've been doing it really without Demetri Trice playing up to his potential. Trice has not scored in the first half of the last two games, but yet other players have stepped in. Micah Potter played fantastic against Iowa. I thought you saw Jonathan Davis take a nice step forward against the Hawkeyes, especially in the second half. 
Tyler Wall is playing better. He had really two pretty good games. There's still some players who are having issues. Nate Reavers is having issues, continues to have issues, I should say. Aline Ford is stuck in a shooting slump. Uh, Trevor Anderson has been kind of up and down. So there's still some some players on this team that are struggling, but there are a number of players that have started to kind of step out of that funk. Brad Davison had a really nice game against the Hawkeyes. I mean, really, uh, you know, the second half, you know, he hits a couple three-pointers, three rebounds, two assists. Uh, you look at his overall body work, 14 points, five of 10 from the field. That's the first time he shot at least 50% from the field since Christmas Day against Michigan State. So that's encouraging moving forward. You know, he plays 37 minutes, two steals thrown in there too. Uh, th- there's some good things that you can start to see being built upon. But it's just those little things. It's a lean for missing a blockout. It's, uh, you know, a, call, a little bit of calls here and there. The inability to box out here and there or lay on the screen to open up a three-pointer and different things like that. That kind of has kept Wisconsin from winning some of these games. In past years, they win these type of games. But because the Big Ten's so good – with so many quality teams at the top, I mean, you look at the top three teams in the league, these are all Final Four caliber teams. Ohio State has the potential to be a Final Four team if they can get out of this rut that they're in. Purdue, Purdue's kind of a wildcard because they're so young, but they've played really well this year. So really, the top four or five teams in this league could be Elite Eight teams. And Wisconsin went 0-8 against them because of these small little things. But the last week has been better, and I think that's what's encouraging for this team going into this tournament, playing on Thursday night against Penn State and Nebraska. Can you take that momentum, that anger, that angst, that those comments that maybe that Demetri Trice had lit a fire under this team, can you carry that through a long stay in Indianapolis? And it's going to be a long stay because whenever Wisconsin loses in the Big Ten tournament or if they win the Big Ten tournament, they're staying in Indianapolis. They're quarantined in Indianapolis for the rest of the season. So if they somehow make it to the Final Four, they're going to be in Indianapolis for weeks. So pack your Xbox, pack your reading material. It's going to be a long trip for them. At least that's what they're hoping. And based on how they played as of the last couple weeks, or last couple games, I should say, it's encouraging to think that they could get there, that they could make a run if they can continue to kind of hold on to this confidence, hold on to this, this anger, that they have in them, and they can continue to hit shots. If they can build upon that second half against Iowa, this team can beat whoever they play on Thursday night. They can beat Iowa, and then maybe who knows what you can do against Illinois. You play better against Illinois in Masson. Of course, you didn't have Iowa DeSumo in that game, and I think Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten. Who knows? And then when we get to the tournament, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament next week, Maybe a different conference team, a team from who knows where, Missouri Valley, uh, ACC, pick your conference. That's not the Big Ten. Maybe that's going to be the breath of fresh air that Wisconsin needs to put something together. Because no matter what you think about this team, no matter how much they've underachieved, it's still six seniors, many of whom are playing their last games they played a lot of basketball together, and they won a Big Ten championship together last year. They know how to do it, and the second half against Iowa gives me a little bit of courage, a little bit of confidence to say that maybe my prediction that this team would lose their – would go 2-2 two and two in postseason play, maybe maybe they're going to prove me wrong. And I'm anxious to kind of see what this team is going to do in Indianapolis here this weekend.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You are listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Before I get to Jared Berger, I want to touch on it. It's Wisconsin Pro Day today uh, on, on Wednesday, March 10th. Uh, it's going on now before I record this, so I don't have any official stats for you, but a number of NFL hopefuls are participating, and we're going to that pro day is is closed to the media, but we'll have full coverage up on the site, badgerblitz.com. I'll address it too next week. I mentioned women's basketball has fired their head coach. That ends my women's basketball segment on this podcast. Uh, Wisconsin uh, volleyball is going to be back this weekend after a two-week layoff. They're still the number one team in the country. And how about uh, Wisconsin women's hockey? They won the WCHA uh, tournament. They beat Ohio State in overtime. And the men, the men win the Big Ten over Minnesota for the first time since 2000 they won a regular season conference championship. That's back in WCHA days uh, that the fourth uh, conference uh, championship for the for the men in school history. So big congratulations to them. And it's all because Brian Posick was on the podcast. I think Posick, the words of Posick on this show encouraged the men to go out there and just to take care of business the last couple of weekends. So we'll get Brian on uh, maybe in a week or two, too, to kind of preview some different things. But uh, good, a lot of good news surrounding the University of Wisconsin in all their sports, including, uh, I'll bring it back, women's basketball. Women's basketball was good decades ago. It can be good again. The, the talent is there, but goodness, have they really whipped on the last two hires. If you are interested, submit your resumes now at jobs.wis.edu. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. My guest this week appeared in 119 career games for the University of Wisconsin and left in 2013 as the school's all-time leader in blocks. He was a second-team All-Big Ten selection, and he's also a member of the All-Conference defensive team. So it's part of the reason why his basketball camps are becoming popular and why I wanted to have him on right before the start of the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. I welcome Jared Bergeron to the podcast. Hello, Jared. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, and I, like I told you before uh, we, we started recording, you, your social media um, had some really, I thought, interesting topics and takes on, on some players on this Wisconsin team, and, and certainly about confidence. And you look at confidence with, with Wisconsin right now, that's kind of one of the things that they have been battling through the last couple months. But I want to start with the hot topic of the week, and that's the last two minutes of the Iowa and Wisconsin game. And there's a lot to unpeel here, and I, I talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, but I wanted to start with the hook and hold rule, which wasn't a thing when you were battling in the post not too long ago and having to kind of corral all Big Ten uh, forwards on both ends of the floor. I'm curious, how often did defenders 
utilize that technique or try to utilize that technique without the watchful eye of officials. And did you do you think that the hook and hold did that warrant a rule being put in the books that has kind of become controversial to a degree in terms of Wisconsin? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the end of that game was crazy. I actually, I wasn't able to watch it live. I was, I was in the gym, not outside, but I, you know, I saw, you know, all the videos on social media and all this debate about it. Every, you know, Jay Billis and all these, you know, high up people tweeting about it saying how it was, you know, it was such a crazy end. I mean, I think, you know, I saw what Coach Collins had to say after, and it's, you know, he was saying it's something that happens all the time. And, it's, you know, you break down the, the videos and look at it, it's like, well, yeah, you this stuff and it looks bad. You're calling flagrant fouls on things that years ago weren't even close at all. So it's, I mean, I think there's a, you know, there there is a player safety element to it, you know, where you want to keep guys safe and you want to eliminate, you know, like I think, uh, like, think back to Kevin Love getting his shoulder ripped out in a, you know, a similar situation with someone, you know, hooking onto his arm and playing, yanking him in a ring. So like, yeah, of course you don't want things like that to happen, but you know, the, the vast majority of them, it's, it's just kind of jostling for position, and, you know, you break these things down in slow motion, you're like, okay, now, I, oh, it looks bad, that's by the, by rule here, yeah, that's that's uh, a foul or a flag of foul or whatever, but I think it's, you know, I think we've definitely gone too far with it, that we're, we're overanalyzing things that are, are really, you know, kind of meaningless, harmless plays, that um, it's, it's ruining the flow of games, and that's, you know, I don't think anyone likes to see that, so... There's also a popular conspiracy theory about official Bull Borowski having a vendetta against Brad Davison, Wisconsin, considering Borowski was involved in, in that call, and then the, the Demetric Trice foul call that, that really kind of changed the game. And the Badgers were 0-7 in Big Ten games he officiated, so people like to point that out too. Now, I, I think he's he's not a great official, but that's not the question I have for you. And you, 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 you played in five years in the Big Ten, or were involved in five Big Ten years. How much did an official get talked about amongst you and the players before a game, during, or after a game? Um, one particular official, multiple times I'm referring to. Did, did it ever come up? Did you ever have a situation like that? Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, it comes up that we would be aware of, you know, kind of what different referees' tendencies are and, and you know, how guys kind of like to call things. But honestly, from a personal standpoint, I, I probably paid attention to the rest less, you know, on an individual basis like that. Like, like I remember after games, guys would be like, oh, yeah, and then so-and-so made this call and so-and-so. And for me, I was always, you know, I, I just, my focus was elsewhere. You know, I wasn't paying attention to, to who was making what calls, more, you know, trying to just focus on what's going on in the game. And, you know, you certainly have to react to the way things are called, but I never... Uh, paid attention to the individual tendencies as much as, you know, some of my other teammates did for sure. So so you know, like I said, personally I didn't I didn't, you know, pay as much attention to it, but it's it's definitely a factor that you have to be able to adjust and kinda of know what these guys look at and when it's been something that's happened as, as frequently as it has, but you know, with with Bo and and Brad especially, it's you know, it's something you I don't know if you have to just adjust the way you play or you know, you, you try to pick those battles a little bit, like Coach Garrett does. And, you know, obviously, Bo Ryan always was pretty good at picking those battles and then needling those refs and uh, trying to get things going their way. But it's a, it's part of the game. It's a challenge. And, you know, you like to see the refs, you know, a good ref is, is not noticed. You know, so when refs become the center of attention, I don't think anyone, anyone wants that. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's a challenge for sure. 
You mentioned something interesting that guys were aware of and you had to adjust. I mean, I understand the adjusting, but at point two, you just have to play and and kind of let the chips fall where they may because, in my opinion, if you adjust too much how you play, that, that becomes a confidence issue too and it gets in your head. Like, it feels like a, an official like a Bo Borowski who consistently these 50-50 calls don't always seem to go Wisconsin's way, especially in Brad Davison's case. There's been a number of calls with Borowski that have gone against Davison. It's almost like one of those things where you just have to kind of just grit your teeth and bear it to a degree and kind of let the coach take over, right? Because if you start thinking about it, it, it could lead to a whole host of other problems. No, for sure. I mean, you never you never want to be analyzing every little thing in the game, and that's you know that's kind of what I what I meant by me playing. You know, I wasn't overly focused on those things. Right after the game, when guys would be like, "Oh yeah," and then he made this call in the left wing, and I was you know I was never paying that much attention to you know exactly who was making the calls at the time. So no, for sure you have to just go do your thing. But if, you know when it becomes a pattern, you know there would be things in in practice. You know, I remember back when I was playing that you know there were certain. I think at the time there was, there was one specific, you know, travel call. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember that. Uh, we go down in and video in Brandon. We'd be like, well, what, what call you're stepping in today? You know, where you're establishing your pivot foot, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there were certain things that would be like, okay, they're tightening, up, tightening down on these calls and we need to adjust, you know, your full work on these things or whatever it may be. So, you know, there might be tendencies that, you know, if it's the, the, the hook and hold thing out, like, okay, they're going to drill that in practice and be like, all right, show your hands. You know, make sure you're not getting tangled up on there because we're, we're you know, they're they're locking down on, on players keeping hands tied up and things like that. So, you know, there might be things like that that you try to try to drill into practice, but you know, in the course of the game, like I said, you gotta you gotta stay focused on just doing your job, and you can't you know think about the ref every single play. You know, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get the job done. You know, every every team goes through a funk of some kind, um, especially in Big Ten play when the league is so good like it was this year. And, and not to bring up a negative, but your senior season, it was it was a challenge, uh, I think, from late January until the season was over for the roster to put the ball through the hoop consistently. In the final 22 games of your season, you guys scored in the set in the, in the 47 times, um, including three straight games. Um, it, when it's clear the offense isn't, functioning the way it needs to for the long-term success. How did Bo, Coach Ryan, Coach Guard, and you as the players try to approach the problem? Did, did Was it talked about a lot and, and made a, a um, I don't want to say a bigger issue that was, but was it addressed to a higher degree? Or did you just have to try to rely on what the system is and hope that some looks finally go into the basket? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard. You gotta, you gotta find a balance of, you know, you can't ignore things. If there's things that you're, you know, you're not doing well that are leading to the poor results, you have to try to adjust it. But at the same time, if you, you know, overanalyze things, it's, you know, it can kind of become paralysis by analysis. You know, you, you overthink things when you're pressing, you know, mentally and you're not, you know, playing in the flow of the game. So, you know, I remember my senior year coming in specifically, you know, uh, with Coach Carlos or whatever it may be, you know, we coming coming in before practice, getting up a bunch of extra shots, just trying to get some rhythm, uh, you know, trying to build some confidence in your, in your shooting touch and everything like that. Um, you know, Coach Ryan would just would just kind of keep keep plugging away, and you know, he, one of his sayings he'd always have was, you know, the game's not going to change, we're not going to change, you know, what we're doing here. We're going to keep looking to to get good, you know, high quality shots and. 
you know, if we're, if we're, you know, moving the ball and setting good screens and doing things that we want to do offensively, you know, at the end of the day, you got to live with the results of, you know, what the shot is, but we got to, you know, kind of break down. You know, what, what we did here was, did we end up getting a good shot? Did we execute, you know, offensively what we wanted to get? And if we did all those things and, you know, and you just missed the shot, it kind of is what it is. I mean, you can, you can try to, you know, you can't scream a guy into making shots. You can't say, oh, make a shot, make a shot. You know, at the end of the day, that's not going to build confidence and, and, you know, find that rhythm to, to be able to score. So you got to look at what you're doing, you know, from an execution standpoint and, and kind of live with the results. So confidence is a fun thing. You know, sometimes you're, you're, you know, you're world beaters and you're, you're hitting everything and everything feels good. And then, you know, you start missing more shots and it, can become contagious, so you know it can flip, you know, like a like a switch. But you never know when it comes and goes. You got to just keep plugging away, and you know, uh, just try to find the right path. Yeah, confidence is such a fragile uh, but vital characteristic of a team. And, yeah, in human nature, doubt creeps in. I mean, I would think a doubt would creep in, in into the locker room when poor shooting results in multiple losses. I mean, you see that the good looks that this team is taking, the looks that they've hit before, they don't they don't fall. And players have said what you've said. You, know, you just have to stick with the script and keep you know doing what we're doing, and the shots will eventually fall. But how hard was it for you to kind of shake out doubts you had in yourself, your teammates, or anything else when in the heat of a game where you're playing well, you're getting those shots, and you just and you don't see them fall and you have to run back on defense after another miss. How, how tough is that, or how tough was that to kind of try to compartmentalize, okay, we, that possession's over, it's the next possession, and not let it kind of snowball? Yeah, for sure. It's super tough. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the game right there. It's a, it's a make or miss game. And it's, you know, the, uh, one of the things I posted on my social media recently, and it was, it was something, you know, so I'm working as a basketball trainer now and working with young kids and trying to help them through these struggles. I've had a lot of kids, you know, that I work with reach out to me and say, you know, they're going through the same kind of thing. You know, they don't feel confident. They're losing playing time, whatever it may be. And, you know, one of the things I posted was talking about, you know, finding confidence from, from other things besides the ball going through the hoop. You know, so there's a lot of ways to impact the game, and, you know, you can, can have a big in, imprint on the game by doing other things, by rebounding, you know, defending, uh, setting a good screen, making a good pass, running the floor, whatever it may be. You know, so my advice is to kind of, you know, find those little things, you know, focus on one, you know, mini victory, I call it, where you do one little thing, you know, okay, you did your job on this play, now can I do my job on another, you know, tiny little piece of the game, and, you know, don't worry about, oh, I have, you know, I only have two points on, you know, I've, I've shot one of six so far, like, I can't miss the next one. Well, if, if that's your mindset, you know, you're putting yourself in a hole wide, right, where you got to look at, you know, like I said, break it down to, to one little thing, you know, try to do that well, and then, then eventually, you know, you kind of snowball it into to finding your rhythm and finding some success, and then, you know, once you get a, make a couple shots, then, you know, things can start rolling again. But at the same time, you can't take that mindset of, okay, when you screw one of those things up and then let it snowball the other way of, oh, I threw a bad pass, or I, you know, I got beat defensively, and, you know, you can't let it snowball there. So it's hard, man. The, the game is, you know, it's a, a large portion. It's, it's been you know, you can do all the, the physical work and have the, you know, the body and the skills and all these things, but if you don't master that, that mental aspect of it, you know, it's probably the hardest part of the game is just to deal with those those highs and lows and, you know, trying to stay consistent through it. So 
it's tough, but, you know, what gives me hope with this Badger team is, you know, look at what they did last year. They were in such a bad place. I was at the game last year when they played at Minnesota. You know, it seemed like the wheels were falling off. The whole program was going to implode. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they turned the page and they started really rallying around each other and they wanted that awesome run to, to finish the season. So, you know, it's mostly all those same guys in the league room now that they've been through bad stretches before and they showed that they were able to, to turn the page and, you know, rally and come together and win. So, you know, things haven't been going well for them right now, but, you know, they've been through it before. They're an experienced group that, you know, you hope they can kind of find that same that same groove again and, and make a run through, through the end of the season here. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Again, we're talking with Wisconsin, uh, former Wisconsin star Jared Bergen here on the podcast. And uh, Jared, as a former player, what simple things are fans failing to realize or take into account of why Wisconsin is struggling this year? I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Kohl Center, which is usually packed, has been virtually empty this year, and it's hard to kind of tap into that uh, that fan support that Wisconsin has had such good fan support, great fan support for so long. And two, just just the the, the quarantining and just this self isolation. It just it's you and your teammates all the time, and and not really have that that interaction on campus. I, how big of a deal? Was that when you played, when you guys were rolling in the Big Ten, 21 seasons, 12, 13 wins in Big Ten play every year? How, how tough is that to kind of think back and not pretend you didn't have that? How tough would that be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, because I, you know, like you said, we always played in front of a packed crowd and, you know, tons of energy and support and everything. So, you know, to play in these empty gyms has got to be a, a very strange um, but it's funny you bring that up because I was actually just talking yesterday with a college girl who was, she just finished her, her freshman season and she was saying she was, you know, went through some struggles this year and, and part of it, I was saying, well, part of it is you, you probably didn't really have an escape. You know, she went there, didn't really know what to expect, didn't have a, a usual freshman year, you know, and it's, you just had basketball, you didn't you know, have any, you know, in-person classes, everything was online, not really meeting people like, you know, like we do, you know, making new friends, you know, the, the team, you know, had a so-so season, individually so-so season, but, you know, so the part of that is, yeah, being able to have an escape and a, a release where if all you have is basketball and then get into those ruts, you know, you don't have something else to go to and, you know, friends away from basketball that you're going to, you know, whatever, going to watch a football game or going to do anything, right? Like, a, be a normal college kid. Like, there's, there's a balance you should have that, you know, is good for you. So, um, you know, like I said, I can only imagine because I, you know, wasn't, I'm not in that situation, but, you know, not having a, a sense of normalcy can definitely, you know, take a, take a toll on those kids. I'm sure, and you know another another aspect I think is um, kind of just changing roles on the team. So uh, I think especially like for Nate Reavers, like like Nate was, you know, he was kind of the guy in the middle for for a couple of years, and then with Micah coming in last year, you know, they were able to balance it, you know, for the most 
complement each other. And as Mike has come on more and more, I mean, it's 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 hard at times for them to play together. Just you know, not every, not most teams don't have two big guys that they can match up well with. And you know, since Mike has come on, that's changed Nate's role. And you know, when you're in a situation with with changing roles like that, it, it can be hard to to balance and find you know your own groove and, and what you were before. And I think. You know, Brad Davison has kind of had the same thing where you look back to Brad's freshman year, he was, you know, once we had all those injuries, he, he was really the, the playmaker. He had the ball in his hands all the time. And then as Trice has continued to get better and better, and, you know, uh, I don't know, Jonathan Davis or whoever, as guys develop and change, you know, your role is going to change. And, you know, being able to adjust to that is, is another challenge. I think, I think fans in general, you know, don't necessarily look at those things as much as they don't understand how those dynamics play out within a team. And, you know, obviously I think those guys are all, all good guys that they all, you know, want their teammates to do well. But at the same time, when, when your teammate does well, you know, it can take away from your own goal, and that can be hard to deal with at times. So, you know, I think those are some of the issues that, that may be, be uh, you know, affecting them a little bit. And, you know, like I said, they, they went through it already last year from, from struggling to, to turning the page and having success. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that they can find that again and it's, it's strong, but it's a challenge for sure. It also, it also feels like, Jared, there's kind of been like a, a seismic shift in the Big Ten from three guards and two bigs, which is typical of, of what how you guys used to play, to kind of four versatile guards in a, in a mobile post center. And I think that also has impacted Nate Reavers to a degree. And to me, the makeup of the Big Ten teams feels different. And as a result, the Big Ten this year might be the best conference um, the game has seen in several years. What have you... How do you think the game has changed in the last five years between the typical, you know, five positions, two two forwards, to now more quick, quicker and, and faster pace and, and more mobile in terms of in terms of that low post big? And is is it still a back to the basket game in the low post because of that? No, I mean the the back to the basket stuff is is definitely you know kind of phasing its way out of the game right now. I mean they're still. You know, there's still teams that do it, and you can still be successful doing it for sure. But um, you know, everything is about kind of kind of pace and space. You know, everyone's shooting threes. Every you know, even even big guys. I mean, we did that obviously. Like we shot threes as well as our, our you know our big men shot threes. But and now it's you know it's more to a different level where you know I could step out and shoot it, but I wasn't doing a whole lot. You know. It, outside of it in terms of like playmaking, you know, I maybe attack a closeout and, and, you know, got to the rim, but it wasn't, you know, as skillful as a lot of these players are doing things now. Um, so it, the game is evolving that way for sure. Everyone, you know, wants to play on the perimeter. Everyone wants to, to get up and down. And um, so it's, yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta be able to adapt a little bit. And like I said, uh, with Potter and Levers, you know, trying to play those guys together, it's, it's a challenge, you know, um, especially defensively, just to defend stuff like that is, is hard. And that's, you know, kind of what I'm doing now is, you know, working with, with young players and it's, you know, everything is so positionless where every, you know, no matter how big you are, what size you are, what position you are, like everyone wants to be able to, to handle the ball, wants to be able to shoot, you know, and like I said, those were some of the things we worked on already, you know, 10 years ago when I was, it's, you know, it's to a new level now and the game continues to advance and it, you know, it becomes harder. You know, you don't see teams scoring, scoring in the 40s like we did. You know, it's, it, 
things that are more up and down, more high scoring, more skillful, and, and high level. So it's a uh, it's a tough you know tough way to adapt. But um, you know they, they got their hands full in this in this league for sure. Uh, you you posted on Twitter at jbergman40 for those that want to follow you um, that that you were impressed. Uh, with with Tyler Wall's growth this season, um, kind of explain further, if you will, what what caught your eye with with Wall, who's from your neck of the woods up there in Minnesota. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think last year he showed flashes of just you know being a smart, you know, kind of tough player, and you know he'd do all the little things that Wisconsin basketball has valued for so long of you know being able to stick your nose in there and fight for loose balls and you know just just battle defensively, get on the glass, all those little things. Um, and now he's just kind of taking that next step where, you know, he's found a little bit more consistency in his outside shot, you know, making that, maybe consistency wasn't the right word, but he's showing more ability in his, his outside shot, you know, I think he could still improve that consistency in terms of that, but, um, you know, and then just uh, growing his game, where now he's, you know, attacking off the catch a little bit more and getting to the rim and doing some things that, you know, with the ball on his hands that, you know, he maybe wasn't wasn't doing last year, but I know, uh, you know, I was with Joe Krabinoff and some other, you know, former teammates uh, before the season started in the fall and talking, he was he was really impressed with him and all those, you know, younger guys that are kind of stepping up and, you know, showing their, their growth and improvement. So there's, you know, there's definitely, uh, with this big senior class, it's going to be strange next year, assuming all those guys leave. I guess we'll see what happens if they come back or not. But assuming those guys leave and, you know, some of these younger guys are thrown into a new role next year, you know, the, I think the, the future of Wisconsin basketball is going to be exciting for sure. Yeah, for the last two plus years, you've kind of mentioned too, you're doing training now. You've been working with Catalyst Training. Um, explain how you transitioned to the company once your professional playing career was done and what kind of uh, attracted you to the ability to, to teach young kids on how to play the game. And I don't want to say necessarily play it the Wisconsin way, but it is kind of the Wisconsin way because the way Wisconsin plays basketball is very rooted in, in core fundamentals. And that's a good basis, I think, for young kids to have. Yeah, for sure. So kind of my, my path to get here was uh, a couple of years into my, my career playing overseas. I started working with a guy, Reed Osey. Actually, I first met him um, working Badger basketball camps in the summer. So he used to, he's from Minnesota, he used to be up there and work the camps in the summer. And we were really like Facebook friends, right? So I didn't like really know him, but we were friends on Facebook. And then, you know, towards the end of one of my seasons overseas, I saw him posting a bunch of videos online. And he actually went out to, you know, like New Jersey area, training out there. He was coming back to Minnesota and he was running some camps out there. And I sent him a message like, hey, I need someone to work out with. Like, let's get in the gym. And, you know, I started, started training with him and, um, Cole Aldrich was another guy that, you know, we used to work out together a lot. Reed is really good, works with the, the, the high-level players in Minnesota, uh, college guys, NBA guys, uh, ton of high school teams in the area. And, you know, so I started working with him, and, you know, as I started learning that side of the game, you know, he would point out details that, you know, were I had never really thought about, you know, exact, you know, foot positioning, what's it doing with your hustle arm, how you're shifting your weight, and how you're finishing all these different things where, you know, it was really just interesting to me to, to be able to grow my skill set like that. And it was, it was something I wish I was, you know, exposed to, to his level of detail, you know, earlier on and um, especially in my, you know, once I started playing overseas. And then as I, you know, went through my career playing, you know, I started having kids. My, my daughter is uh, about three and a half now. And 
so she was born right before I went to Japan. Um, I had to leave actually like two weeks after she was born, and then they joined me a bit later. And honestly, I went through kind of a, a rough season there where it was a pretty poor fit just in, in terms of style of play, and I didn't play very well, and I ended up getting cut. And when I came home, um, the real season was like January, and I came back and worked out with Reed, and, uh, you know, I was in a really bad place mentally, struggling with confidence, all the stuff we kind of talked about here, and he was kind of helping me dig out of it, and, you know, then he was talking, I was, you know, uh, going over there with my daughter, felt different, like taking her away from family and friends back home, and everything was hard, and he was like, well, what do you want to do if you, you know, if you don't keep playing? I was like, I want to do what you do. Like, I love this. Like, helping, you know, young players get better. It's it's such a rewarding experience for me to stay around the game and, you know, like I said, kind of pass on the, the, the knowledge I've gained over my year to, to help young players get better is, is, is so fun for me. You know, so I started working with him, and then uh, the following summer, I ended up going back to Japan, finished my uh, season out there with, uh, with a different team, and um, came back that summer, started working with them a little bit, and then I went overseas for one more year to Switzerland. Um, you know, I didn't want to end on that sour note like that. So I went to Switzerland, played one more year. And then, like I said, as my daughter got older, um, you know, it just got harder and harder. She was, you know, knowing who her grandparents are and things like that, asking to go see them. And we're like, well, we're over here for, you know, four more months before we can go home and see them. You know, that, mm-hmm. was, that, was, that was hard. So uh, the following summer, you know, I, I started, you know, growing the business more and more with, with Reed. Um, doing the training thing, and then, you know, I turned down some offers to go back overseas and have been, been here, you know, in Minnesota doing this, the training stuff now and uh, kind of getting my name out there, getting connected with different high school programs in the area, you know, youth programs, working with, you know, college players, kind of the whole spectrum of, of, you know, levels of players here. And like I said, just trying to, trying to help out, you know, these young players and pass on what I've learned and, you know, see them grew is, is really fun for me, really rewarding and, you know, I'm staying active, staying in the gym, doing what I love to do, and, you know, making a, a career out of it. So it's, you know, it's, it's a really fun, really fun thing for me right now. Have you learned um, from your, your two years, is it harder to teach young players the physical aspect or the mental aspect of the game? Um, I would say it depends on the kid. So I think if you go young, if you go, like, middle school level, I think it's more physical. But I think at that level, generally kids have, you know, they're, they're putting less pressure on themselves, they're enjoying the game more, which is, which is good, it's what you want, right? They're more playing for fun, they're not beating themselves up as much about, you know, wins and losses and, and missing shots and whatnot. Um, and then as you get older, you know, I think even, you know, to like the varsity level, you know, a lot of, a lot of my guys there are, are, you know, they're starting to feel the pressure of, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, go play college basketball and things like that. You know, when they, they start struggling, they're, they're questioning it, their ability to do that. They're questioning, you know, coaches' decisions. And there's just a little bigger spotlight on them. You know, you get to the varsity level. And, um, you know, so it's, I think there you start dealing a little bit more with the, the mental aspect. You know, it's, it's different for every kid, obviously. But, you know, I think the, the mental side of things is, especially recently, I feel like for me, it's been, uh, you know, I've had more and more cases with kids like that where I'm trying to help them through it. You know, I went through a lot of the same struggles myself, like I said, especially my year in Japan when I was, you know, I wasn't playing very well, I wasn't very happy, and, you know, I was trying to find ways to dig myself out of that hole a little bit. So uh, it's, again, rewarding for me to, you know, share my experiences with these kids and, you know, be vulnerable a little bit and tell them, you know, it's it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies here, but, you know, you're going to go through struggles and it's going to be hard sometimes. And, 
you know, you might even want to quit sometimes, but you got to find your, your motivation and find, you know, these kind of small successes, like I said, and try to just keep at it, keep pushing, keep working, and, you know, dig your way out. Um, it's, you know, I think my experiences, it helps me relate to these kids where I'm not, you know, someone that's, that's never done it and just telling you, but it's, you know, I, I feel for you because I've done that and I know what it feels like. So it's, it's something that I think definitely helps me, if, you know, going through those struggles was never fun when I did it, but now looking back, you know, there's things that I'm, I'm almost thankful for. It's, you know, now it's helping me help others. And I think that's, that's what's great about the game. And there's such a, a you know, kind of a brotherhood in the game of sharing your experiences and connecting with people. And, you know, like I said, really, really rewarding experience for me. If people want to learn more about your training opportunities, Jared, where can they go? Uh, you can find me on social media, um, you know, on Twitter or Instagram, at jbergen40, um, or on our website, uh, basketballcatalyst.com. Um, we have information there on, uh, yeah, camps, clinics, things like that. If you're in the Minnesota area, you know, I do, you know, individual, small group, team training, you know, kind of all, all different options here. So send me a message. I'd love to connect. And, you know, like I said, keep, keep helping kids out. Keep helping kids improve. Great stuff, Jared. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. That's good stuff from Jared Bergen. If you're a young basketball player or you're a parent to a young basketball player, look at Jared's Twitter. He's, he posts some really good things and posts some little video clips that um, I think are, were really impressive. That's part of the reason why I reached out to him, and I really appreciate the time. We were only going to talk for about 15, 20 minutes. I think you know, we went close to 30 and uh, really good stuff from Jared, and I really appreciate having him on to wrap up our podcast uh, for this week. For all the latest on Wisconsin football, basketball, and recruiting, log on to BadgerBlitz.com. Follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation. Uh, for all the latest on Pro Day, on Wisconsin basketball's postseason run, uh, all the good stuff you can find, of course, will be at BadgerBlitz.com. Com. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading this show. I really appreciate uh, your loyal listenership over the last couple weeks and months. We'll be back next week. We will preview the NCAA tournament to hopefully have a see what Wisconsin can do. What kind of damage can they do in the national tournament now that they won't be facing a Big Ten team each and every week? Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the nice weather that's finally coming to the state of Wisconsin. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.